Let's remember every time we express ourselves, whether it's in writing or electronically uh, or verbally, the starting point is the First Amendment protects us. If you infringe on a student's free speech rights, it doesn't matter how minimal the punishment was. Uh, our free speech rights are totally protected. Hey everybody, this is Pat Cohan with the AD Insider Podcast. Today I'm going to take you inside our most recent AD Insider Live Thursday 30 episode where we interviewed Jim Walsh, the attorney and shareholder at Walsh Gallegos Law Firm. In this episode, we discussed the landmark Snapchat Supreme Court case, transgender laws, and lawsuit protections for coaches. Before we dive into these topics, we want to thank our sponsor for helping put on this episode, the Cloade Coaches Directory. This is the team that has been helping coaches and administrators stay connected for close to 60 years. If you haven't already, check in with them and update your school's information today. Thanks so much for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this AD Insider Podcast. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Patrick. It's a delight, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak to this group. And we met uh, through the Texas High School Athletic Director Show. AD Insider's been filming that show for the last three years, uh, three and a half, because we didn't have the last convention. And uh, it's been great to see you uh, perform at that show, but we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us nationally uh, about the current issues. I mean, I don't think we could have timed this interview yeah. any better uh, with the uh, Supreme Court ruling. And so right. most of the people on this episode will know about that case, but if you could just give us a general overview of the, uh, of the case, and then we'll go into why that's important for athletic directors to be aware of. Okay, real good. Well, it's a, it's a case from a small school district in Pennsylvania, and it involved a girl who uh, was very upset that she did not make the cheerleading squad. Uh, she had not made the cheerleading squad as a freshman. She was relegated to the JV squad, and I guess she was okay with that. But as a sophomore, she expected she was going to be on the varsity, and she didn't. Uh, she got sent back down to the JV. So she vented her frustration on Snapchat. Uh, and it involved four consecutive F-bombs. <laughs> and so uh, she said, uh, and I'm, I'm just going to say them, Patrick, because why not? So as she said, cheer, softball. Now, that was not the school softball, but some other softball. School and everything. Uh, she accompanied that with a picture of her raising her middle finger. So, you know, it was on Snapchat, which is designed to go away pretty quickly, but it was up long enough. Uh, and uh, one of the people that was one of her followers on Snapchat was the daughter of a cheerleader sponsor. So she takes it to her mom. Mom, look what Brandy put on Snapchat. And so uh, the school had rules for their cheerleaders that went beyond the rules that applied to the other students. Uh, among other things, they were to refrain from vulgarity. Uh, they were not to be disrespectful to coaches and teammates and that sort of thing. And so the the, uh, the school officials felt like this violated those rules and they suspended her from cheerleading for a year. Uh, she, uh, she and her family uh, appealed this up through the ranks. Uh, one thing I didn't know until I read the opinion uh, yesterday, Patrick, is she it said she apologized uh, for what she had done, but uh, they, they stuck to their guns. They suspended her for a full year uh, and then she files a lawsuit and ACLU picks it up, believing that this is a matter of free speech. So the case goes to the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, and uh, it got a lot of attention, particularly because the circuit court uh, ruled that the, the standard that we've always applied, which is based on the, the Tinker versus Des Moines case, I think most of our listeners are aware of that, that the, the, 
that the third circuit said that simply doesn't apply when the kids are not on campus. And, and that was a significant factor in this case. The girl was, it was, it was a weekend, I think. She was not at school. She was not in a school supervised activity. She was not using school equipment. This was her own cell phone. Um, so, you know, all of that was a factor. So uh, it goes to the Supreme Court. And, um, you know, we expected a landmark decision. I'm not sure what we got is what I would call a landmark decision. Uh, the girl won the case. Uh, the Supreme Court ruled eight to one solidly, eight to one in her favor. And what that means is the court said that the suspension from cheerleading was a violation of her free speech rights, uh, that, that her expression of uh, frustration uh, and criticism was uh, protected by the First Amendment. And therefore, it was improper for the school uh, to suspend her from cheerleading activities for that. So that, that's the case in a nutshell. Now, why did so many school-based associations and the Biden administration put so much behind um, the Mahoy Area School District in this case? What was the kind of the slippery slope that they were trying to avoid? Yeah. Well, you know, it, like most First Amendment cases, both sides are arguing the slippery slope. Your Honor, if you don't rule, if you rule against us, here's what's going to happen. And the concern of the schools, I think, was well-founded. The Third Circuit's decision said schools just have no jurisdiction when kids are off campus. Well, now, that kind of ignores the reality of social media and, it, uh, and, and the re responsibility of schools to address cyberbullying and sexual harassment, uh, much of which takes place through technology off campus. And so that was the big concern. I don't really think anybody cared a whole lot whether Brandy made the cheerleading squad. That was not the big issue here. Uh, the big issue was, is the court going to clip the wings of schools when they're trying to address cyberbullying? And, and I don't think they have. I don't think they have. But that's why uh, a lot of the school organizations got involved in, in supporting the school's position. But even though they did make a decision in the students' favor, they really didn't create a new standard or test. You said the tinker test that we have to work right. with. They didn't yeah. create a new standard uh, to restrict. They specifically said they age. weren't going to do that. I, I wrote this down. It says so we refuse to adopt a broad, highly general rule. So, you know, that's what we thought they were going to do. And they just flat out refused to do it. They said, we're not going to give you a broad, general rule about student expression when they're not at school. We're just going to lay out some factors that are important. So. Uh, let, let me point out what, what I think was the key to the, the court ruling in favor of the, school, of the student in this case. Number one, yes, she was vulgar, but she wasn't obscene. Now, people may wonder, well, what's the difference? Well, it's hard to say, <laughs> but I can tell you that a single utterance or even four consecutive utterances of an F word unattached from anything else, that's vulgar. That's not going to meet anybody's definition of obscene. Uh, and so, so that was one thing. Secondly, she, there were no fighting words. You know, she didn't, she didn't uh, threaten anybody. She didn't, there was no threats of violence. There was no bullying involved in this. Uh, and so that was important. And the court pointed out, you know, she was off campus. It was her own time. She's not under the supervision of the school. And it was a very short thing. I mean, how long did it take her to do this? It's not like this was a sustained campaign of criticism of the coaches. I think if it had been something like that that really undermines morale of the team, I think you got a different situation. This was a very short-term teenage temper camp. That's what it was. Uh, and so uh, she didn't target anyone. So I think all of those were the factors. And, uh, you know, the school district said, uh, you know, there was disruption, but the court said, we don't really see any evidence of that in the record. 
uh, there were some girls, some students in the cheerleading squad that were kind of upset about it. But uh, I think the, I think the lesson of the case is that if coaches want to discipline kids for expression, for things that are protected by the First Amendment, based on what they do off campus, you have to have a stronger set of facts than the school had in this case. Uh, you have to the court did say uh, maintaining team cohesion is important. That's an important factor. And I think that's good that we got that out of the decision. But they, but the court just didn't buy it that this little short-term temper tantrum seriously undermined team morale. And, and so uh, so they rule in favor of the student. Okay, so what I'm gathering from that being the reason why they left it case by case by case is because protecting team morale is important for coaches and administrators. Um but because this didn't attack anybody, because this didn't cause serious disruption, this particular instance is one that was not justified to have that type of punishment. Right. Is that kind of yeah, and I think the starting point is let's remember every time we express ourselves, whether it's in writing or uh, electronically uh, or verbally, the starting point is the First Amendment protects us. You know, we have the right of free speech in our country, and that's a very valuable thing. So that's the starting point, and 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 it's re, it's restricted only under certain circumstances. Now, at the school, we when they're at school or at a school-sponsored event, we've got the Tinker Test, and we know that we have to be able to point to uh, uh, a material and substantial disruption of school, or by the way, vulgarity at the school. If she had said these very same words at the school, this case is totally different. <laughs> so, uh, right. you know, the school does have the right to restrict vulgar language at the school or at a school-sponsored event, but not when the kids are, are not under our supervision. And then when we look at like bullying, that's actually targeting someone, yeah. then yeah. we're able to, or the school has the ability to extend its kind of authority. Yeah. And, and the court, you know, outlines some of the factors that, that school districts have a legitimate interest in, and, and bullying is one of them. You know, and protecting staff and students from targeted attacks. So, you know, but you can see we've had some cases like that. I mean, there was a, a Fifth Circuit decision from several years ago where a student wrote a rap song that directly uh, attacked a couple of coaches by name. Uh, that's very different uh, than what we have here. So, you know, the bad news for coaches and sponsors of extracurricular activities is the court really didn't. Uh, pay a lot of attention to the fact that this was extracurricular. Um, and, and, and they left us with kind of a case-by-case -case analysis. So, you know, I would encourage people uh, to review your uh, extracurricular code of conduct. I think most schools have something like that. You should have something like that. But you might want to have your school lawyer take a look at it. And you might want to take a fresh look at it in light of this decision to make sure that uh, the only things we're restricting are things where we do have a, a, a genuine legitimate interest in doing so. Yeah, that was my next question was when it comes to writing team rules or policies, you know, what advice do you have for coaches and administrators to make sure the rules actually have teeth, but avoid a possible lawsuit? Because you said team cohesion. Right. I mean, that's the whole point of these rules, right? To make sure we're able to right. keep everybody on the same page. Right. Uh, but uh, the other thing I think is to make sure that the rules uh, in some way tie into the legitimate interests of the sport. I know, for example, uh, fitness, uh, because athletes need to be fit, 
uh, coaches can impose rules about fitness that perhaps extend beyond the, the season uh, in particular. But, uh, but, but other things, you know, the whole business of um, team cohesion, team morale, like I said, the court did say that's a legitimate interest of the school in maintaining that. But we'd have to, you know, in order to uh, punish a student for something that they've said or something that they've written, we'd have to have a stronger, stronger evidence of an impact on team morale than what we had in this case. And now we have a question from Kristen Smits who says, if she had posted it in a cheer uniform, do you think it would have made a difference? Uh, you know, that's a good question. Uh, that's, that's another, that's another factor. Uh, I, you know, my gut reaction, since you asked me that question, I'll go ahead and answer it. I don't think it would have made a difference. I think the critical thing here for the court was this was such a, it, it was a temper tantrum, you know, from a 14 or 15 year old girl. And I think that's what the court saw. And, and, um, it, it wasn't a planned attack on the cohesion of the team. It wasn't a long-term uh, game plan to undermine the coach's authority or, or uh, instill divisiveness among the team members. Uh, so if the student uh, is displaying her, uh, his or her uniform while they're doing this, that sort of reflects poorly on the school. Uh, it, it would be a factor. It would be a factor. I don't know, you know, it, it's unfortunately, you know, the law is one of these things. That's something that probably could go to 10 different federal judges and five of them would rule for the school and five of them would rule for the student. So, you know, I know that's frustrating, but that's the way the law works a lot of times. Yeah, I kind of feel bad for you. We got 130 ADs here ready to ask you these questions, <laughs> put you in the back of the corner. But I, I'll, I'll ask the general question that right. we can ask, and then we'll, we'll try to get to these other ones that are coming through the chat. So say there was an issue that, ar that arose, similar to this Snap Snapchat case, where a student posted something on social media off campus that had language that broke a team's rule, what steps would you recommend a coach or administrator to take? Yeah, good question. Well, let me, by the way, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd seriously consider dropping uh, punishment for the use of vulgarity alone. Uh, that seems to be kind of an underlying theme as I read this court's decision. And you know, the truth of the matter is what's vulgar in our culture has changed radically over the last 20 years. I mean, the F word is borderline totally acceptable these days. That's the truth. And so I, I think if, if, if all you have to go on is they used a bad word, I'd back off from that. I think you've got to have something a lot stronger than that. Uh, My mother so would, would say you... differently. My sister Patricia would totally say differently on the F word. Hey, I, I was 13 years in Catholic schools. I get it. But, uh, <laughs> you know. It's it, our, our standards have changed. You know, you just have to watch television or um, anyway. So, <laughs> what was I forgot what the question was? Yeah. Okay. Oh, about what you're issues, doing a long you, way to dodge the whole question, but say yeah. okay, say I'm the AD and a coach comes in. Oh, and we says, have hey. an incident. What do we do? Yeah. Yep. Well, you know, okay. Number one, go to the student, uh, confront the student with it, uh, point out that this is a violation of our rules take into account the student's response to that. You know, if the, if the student is uh, contrite and is willing to uh, perhaps express uh, that to the team, uh, then, you know, you may actually have something that can build, build the team. Uh, so I would go to the student first. I would go, uh, perhaps go to the parents, talk to them. Uh, but if it's, if it's a serious thing that you really think undermines team morale or is disruptive or just totally inconsistent with what we're trying to do here, uh, you do have authority to take disciplinary action. 
but I would just say if it, if it in any way involves expression, if it involves expression, remember, we do have a constitutional issue we need to look at, we need to worry about that a little bit. Now, just some more specific questions here. If it was a lesser consequence, would it have been justified? No, I don't think so. I don't think that the, uh, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a suspension from JV cheerleading. It wasn't, you know, <laughs> what's less. There was an argue about that. that uh, there was a, I know a, they could have done it a lot shorter. They could have, they could have suspended her for 30 days. They, they could have yeah. suspended her for a semester or a grading period. They, they, they did come down kind of hard on her. I, I do see that, but I don't think that was a factor. It shouldn't be for the courts. The courts are not supposed to second guess that type of thing. Uh, but here, a good point here is that if, it, if you infringe on a student's free speech rights, uh, it doesn't matter how minimal the punishment was. Uh, our free speech rights are totally protected. And so once the court says that what, once the court concluded that, that what she did was constitutionally protected by the First Amendment, it doesn't matter how minimal the punishment is. It's improper. You can't do it. Uh, so, you know, and we should it feel doesn't good matter. about that. It doesn't matter if the family, the parents and the player signed a policy that said we will abide by these rules. Those those code of conducts don't matter. That's the, that's the part of this case that I was disappointed didn't get more play. I felt like everybody played up the vulgarity more than they should have. And they didn't play up enough of that very factor that, hey, we have some special rules and you signed on to it. And we're just trying to enforce those rules because we think that teaches you values. They just didn't go with that. And I, I, it doesn't look to me like the, the, uh, the school district uh, emphasized that point, or maybe they did and the court just didn't, didn't go with it. But I think we should continue to emphasize that. Uh, I, you know, I, 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 I totally believe that what our coaches and athletic and cheerleader sponsors are doing is they're trying to instill values in kids and, uh, and, and the agreement to abide by the rules and to accept the consequences is a significant part of that. So I wouldn't back away from that just because of this case. Uh, I, I think you, you have to continue to send that message. But if we have a particular instance that comes up and it involves student expression, we're going to have to scratch our heads a little bit and think about it and maybe talk to the school's attorney uh, before we decide exactly how to respond. Now, does this pertain to private schools as well, or does it only yeah. have to do with government institutions? Yeah, it's, it's a First Amendment case, and the First Amendment does not apply in the, in the private school. Uh, you know, Justice Alito's opinion was, is very lengthy. I haven't read the whole thing, but he goes off on this whole thing, how a, a private school student wouldn't be punished this way. Well, I don't know what he's thinking. A private school kid would have been kicked off the team and maybe kicked out of the school, uh, and there'd be no First Amendment protection for that student. So I don't know what he was thinking, but uh, no, in a private school, uh, the Constitution it simply doesn't apply. The Constitution restricts the government uh, restricting free speech. It does not uh, restrict uh, private entities uh, like private schools or religious schools. Beautiful. Now, I'm getting a ton of stuff in the chat, but some of you are only putting panelists as your setting, so make sure to change that over to panelists and attendees. Jeff Peterson, you had a really good thing to, to add to that answer, and I want everybody to see that. Um, now, what, to, to kind of put the cap on this massive topic, is there anything else? I mean, I think your recommendations of getting a lawyer to look over all code of conducts, uh, if a situation were to take place, you know, getting a school lawyer involved, addressing the kid just to make sure that there's no 
immediate action that you know you might regret in this. Um, but was there anything else? Last last little pieces on well, this. Well, you know, the, the other thing I guess I would say is I think this case strongly suggests that coaches need to have a little thicker skin sometimes, because uh, the, the court said, you know, yeah, she criticized the coaches, and 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 yet she wins this case. So uh, sometimes we have to be prepared to accept some of that, even if it's coming from a fourteen-year-old student. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going on this because it's happened where teams have signed petitions or they'll get four or five of the kids uh, to, to kind of rally behind one really mad kid. And then all of a sudden the coach gets fired. Technically yeah. that is, a, uh, I forgot the word, but it's, it's a disruption yeah. technically. Well, that's, then that's why, you know, this case is telling us we have to look at the facts of each situation. And that's a very different fact situation you have there. If students are uh, joining together in an effort to, uh, uh, you know, to, to divide the team, um, you know, I would suggest the principal needs to look into that uh, and, and take some action, not just the coaches, because it, it may be aimed at the coach. Uh, and, you know, you don't want to have any uh, broad across the board rule about that. You know, my fear would be, well, what if the kids are, are wanting to get rid of the coach because the coach is doing something wrong? You know, unfortunately, we know of too many instances where that's exactly what's happened. And, and, and a, uh, a coach or an assistant coach or somebody is uh, engaging in misconduct with the students. But the students join together to speak up about that, I say good for the students. So we just have to look at each situation uh, and the facts of it. But if, if it were a situation like that, particularly aimed at a coach, I'd get the coach out of the direct line of fire and go to the principal or the superintendent and ask them to look into it and take appropriate action. One more question. Is there a difference in saying team rule versus team standard? I'm, I'm not sure what the difference would be. Okay. Now, like I said earlier, we probably timed this interview. We couldn't have timed it any better, you know, with right. the, the ruling coming yesterday. But also on June 17th, um, the Department of Education for Civil Rights gave it an official notice of interpretation um, mm -hmm. in terms of discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender identity in schools and how that will be treated as a violation of Title IX. Right. Now, how will this notice of interpretation change school sports in states that have participation rules based on an athlete's gender at birth? Right. So Texas, we learned this at the this Texas is, AD this show. Is, yeah, this is a great this. Yeah, this is a great illustration of, of what I maintain, which is that schools are public schools are at ground zero in the culture wars. And uh, this is this is a great example of that. Uh, it's going to be uh, difficult for coaches to navigate this. The starting point is I think you have to enforce your school policies and your association's rules. But if those rules do not permit a student to uh, participate in a sport that matches with the gender identity, you might get a com complaint to the Office for Civil Rights that you're going to have to deal with. The Biden administration has made it very clear that they believe that Title IX's non-discrimination uh, requirements extends to transgender students and extends to extracurricular activities. Just this morning, uh, I read a fact sheet that they put out, uh, and it's a fact sheet giving a list of typical, uh, they gave examples of things that might bring about an investigation. And they didn't say how they'd rule in these investigations. They just said, this is the type of thing that if we get a complaint like this, we're going to investigate it. And one of their examples was a transgender girl 
who is not permitted to try out for cheerleading uh, because um, the coach or sponsor says, well, you, you know, this is for girls only and you're not a girl. The, the Office for Civil Rights says that's the type of thing we would investigate. So, uh, you know, your starting point has to be we follow the rules in our jurisdiction. In Texas, for example, we have a uh, we have rules that say we're going to go with the uh, the uh, identity identity of, of gender uh, sex on your birth certificate. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, and if there's a complaint, uh, you know the school and the and the UIL and the state will defend it. So it's just uh, you know coaches may be caught in the middle of this, but I think your starting point has to be we follow our school policy, we follow our state's rules. And if someone wants to challenge that by complaining about it to the Office for Civil Rights, that's going to work out above our heads. <laughs> and we'll see, see how it comes out. And if the ADs on this call would like a copy of that list, where would they search for that? Is it something that only oh, attorneys gosh, have access Pat, to? Yeah. Oh, no, it, I think it's a bit. I don't know. I got it on an email from one of the other lawyers in the firm this morning. I just looked at it real quickly because I knew we were having this interview today. <laughs> Uh, but it's it's something that was just recently issued by the Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights pertaining to Title IX. I'm sure there's enough information there that if you Google it, you'll find it. Uh, and it's a follow it's a follow up to the notice that you uh, said that they issued last week, uh, saying that they are going to enforce. And, and you know this all goes back to the Supreme Court case last year that had to do with uh, sexual orientation and transgender status. But that case was only about employment. And so the issue since then has been, well, does it also extend to students in schools? And the Biden administration is very clear. Yes, they think it does. Uh, so that's where we are with that. I tried to search for it. I wasn't able to do it. looks like Zach Stevenson has, uh, he's put the, the, the Snapchat case in there, but we're looking for the list of... Uh, well, let me, go ahead. Let me, see if I can, let me see if I can find where I got it from... Uh, one of the lawyers this morning. Uh, there you go. Know. Yeah. Well, we will do our best to get that on the replay okay. for this and everybody okay. will have access to that. Um, now, so far, how have states that have participation rules based on gender identity dealt with the transgender or non-binary athletes winning competitions? Uh you know, the only thing I can speak to about that, Patrick, is there was a uh, is Connecticut. Uh, there was a lawsuit in Connecticut over that very issue, and the lawsuit was filed by uh, some female athletes who felt like they would have won state track championships had it had they not had to compete against uh, transgender females. Uh, and I believe the transgender females finished first and second. And by the way, there's a Hulu documentary about this called "Changing the Game." Very interesting. It's on Hulu. Okay. Uh, and it, it kind of contrasts the Texas situation uh, and, and the Connecticut. But anyway, this lawsuit in Connecticut was uh, filed by these girls who felt like they were deprived of scholarships and so on. And uh, the court dismissed the case and they didn't do it on the merits. Basically, they just said, uh, number one, the girls had graduated. This was moot. It was over. And yes, there were other students coming up the ranks, but those students could not point to any specific individual that they were going to have to compete against. So the court just said, we don't think this is a real controversy at this point. It's speculative. And so we think it's moot and we're going to dismiss it. So they didn't get any relief. Uh, and I assume that Connecticut is sticking with their uh, policy. Connecticut's policy 
is uh, in conformity with the, the, the Department of Education's view on this. Uh, Texas is not. So, uh, and, and I don't know where all the other states stand, but, uh, but that's the only lawsuit I know about. about that. Yeah, it, it just didn't leave us with anything kind of like the Snapchat case. No. You're, you're kind of yeah. left with, if I have a situation with a track athlete that wins a race, what do we do? No one knows, even in states that are, um, you know, that have well, rules think, based on gender identity. I think you go, you know, I think you go by the rules that you have in your state. If your state permits students to participate based on gender identity, that's what you do. And if they win, they win. And, uh, you know, it's not up to the coach to challenge that. I think it would be up to uh, the, the, the other athlete uh, to do so. Um, so, you know, I, I just think you have to just follow the process and stuff like this. Uh, this is all going to wash out over the next 20 years. And who knows where we'll be with it 20 years from now. But right now we're in the, we're in the, the mix of it. And, uh, and, and for people at the ground level, like the folks I'm talking to, uh, the best thing I can suggest is just follow the process, follow the rules in your school, and uh, let people have their legal recourse, and we'll see how it washes out. Yeah. Uh, in the chat, we did have John Griffith did find a, a, a link with that, and then the fact sheets within that link, I pasted that oh, in great. the chat. So we do have that. It's examples of kinds of incidents, CRT yeah. or OCR, that yeah. can, the, can investigate. Yeah, if you look at that, it's the very last one. Very last one is, is uh, where they bring, I think, where they bring up the cheerleader. Because I looked at it this morning. I thought, let's see if there's anything about athletics. And they had the cheerleader. Perfect. Appreciate you sharing that with us. Now, you know, all of these conversations kind of surround protecting our coaches and other administrators that get put in these tough situations, trying to follow the rules above them, but also try to try to keep teams and, and athletes and competition standards together. And, and you read these cases all year long. I mean, how many cases do you read in a given year? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I try to keep up with a variety of uh, inputs and uh, I read a lot of cases. That's part of my job with the law firm now is to read uh, a lot of the cases, summarize them and, and get them out to the other lawyers. So with the cases that deal with protecting coaches and administrators or where there may be to be some protection, what, what topics are on the rise that ADs should be aware of? Well, one thing I, I want to call everybody's attention to are the lawsuits alleging intentional discrimination based on disability. And when I say those words, I feel like many of you probably recoil because you're probably thinking we would never intentionally discriminate on the basis of disability. But um, you know, this is something like I, I think in the Princess Bride, the word does not that word does not mean what you think it means. In the court cases, the intentional discrimination. Uh, can be simply a fact situation where a student has a plan, usually under Section 504, that requires accommodations, and the school district does not implement the plan. The school knows there's a plan, and the school doesn't implement. There's usually no ill will. There's no malice. It's not like we're out to get the handicapped kid. Uh, it's nothing like that. But there have been cases that have some legs to them that indicate that are based upon my child has a 504 plan. The coaches knew about it. They didn't implement it. And that can be a basis of a, a lawsuit based on disability discrimination. You know, I feel like the disability discrimination, we're at, uh, we're at the second generation of cases now. The first cases were simply about participation and giving students a fair tryout. I think we're all, we all understand that now. Uh, and kids are being given a fair tryout and kids are being accommodated if need be. If the student is deaf, 
we find a way to accommodate that and, and measure their athletic ability. Uh, uh, but we're at the second generation now. The second generation of cases are these cases where people are alleging, you had a, we had a plan, it was agreed to, the school said these are things that the uh, student needs and you didn't provide it. And a lot of times this happens just because uh, we overlook something or we don't really think it's that important uh, or we don't think the kid really needs it. And sometimes we're right about that, but if there's a plan in place that the school has approved, uh, the coaches need to be sure that, it, that it's implemented insofar as it applies to their activities. Now, this is specific to disabilities that have right. documented plans. Yes, yes. This, yeah, this is about students who have an, an IEP under our special education laws uh, and or students who have a 504 plan under Section 504. Yeah. Now, how can this get extended? I think about mental health. You know, I was talking to a coach the other day and the player was not up to the standards. They were thinking about, you know, relegating them to the JV team. And the, the kid checks into a counselor and says they have mental health issues. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of puts the coach in a tough spot. Can mental health be looked at as a quote unquote disability? Oh, absolutely. It can be. But until it is uh, officially recognized by the school, the schools have processes for this, you know. We refer kids for evaluations. We do the evaluations at no cost to the parents. And we determine the students have a disability and they need services. So that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, and, and if the coach is aware that a, a student has a plan like that, uh, then the coach needs to take that into account. And, and, you know, Does this have implications for my sport? Does this have activity, uh, implications for my activity? Uh, and if in doubt, uh, you should talk to the uh, special education uh, director or the 504 coordinator uh, and make sure you're clear on that. But I just, you know, I just want to emphasize we need to take those plans seriously. We're starting to see lawsuits now based upon the failure to implement those plans. And they're, and they're, they're uh, describing that as intentional discrimination based on disability. So that's, you know, when you ask me what cases I read, I'm seeing more of that. And it, it concerns me. And, and you mentioned on our prep call that there are attorneys out there that are looking for these type of cases and hunting to take down school districts in this. Like they're, they're, they've identified that these are ways to generate a lot of revenue, essentially. Well, yeah, I, I don't know about that. It's uh, I, certainly there's there's always lawyers who will take a case, you know. Yeah. And uh, if, if you are a lawyer practicing and, and a parent uh, comes to you, uh, you're going to look for every opportunity to get that parent what, what you think they deserve. So um, I, I don't I don't know that they're um, if I said they were specifically targeting schools, I think maybe I misspoke. But there's plenty of lawyers out there. So, you know, <laughs> well, wouldn't have a problem finding somebody. Now, I just want you to kind of close out with uh, defining what was respondent superior means and how that can extend or just kind of as a nice way to close this out of like how you could get in trouble, even though you didn't know something was going on. Well, this this what we've just been talking about, the disability discrimination is a good example of that, because the the, the phrase that Patrick used there, respondent superior, there's your little Latin for the day. Uh, And and it, it means basically what it sounds like respondi at superior, let the superior respond. And it's a, it's a common concept in our tort law, uh, which is basically the best example I can give you on this is somebody slips and falls at the grocery store. Uh, who's at fault? Well, probably the, the minimum wage employee who was supposed to mop it up and didn't. You 
don't want to sue that person. You want to sue the grocery scores, the grocery chain. And respondeat superior allows you to do that. So it's a basic fundamental premise of our tort law that we can sue the employer for the negligence of the employee. Now, that generally doesn't apply in schools. General rule, it doesn't apply. Uh, but it does apply uh, to suits based on disability discrimination. So I'm, I'm aware of a lawsuit that's working its way through the courts here in Texas. Doesn't involve um, athletics, but it involves uh, a yearbook and allegations that the yearbook advisor uh, intentionally discriminated against a student with a disability. And it's not the teacher who's facing liability, it's the school because of a respondeat superior. So, you know, this, this would be, you don't want your school district sued. They would not look well on you for that. <laughs> so, uh, so we want to be careful about that. So that's, uh, I think it's good that you brought up a little Latin. I think it enhances the, it elevates the conversation this morning, Patrick. It makes me sound smarter. I mean, that's the whole reason why I there did it. There you go. Both of us. Yeah. <laughs> now, we appreciate your time and sorry for drilling you for all this free legal advice. Uh, right. But if anybody has any more, uh, if you're in Texas and you're interested in more uh, of Jim's content and, and things that he's putting out, he does have a daily blog, but it is for administrators in Texas because that's where he practices. Uh, but we really appreciate you taking the time to explain you know, what we just um, what the Supreme Court just decided and how that affects athletics and administrators um, and everything else that you shared with us today. So we well, really thanks for giving me the opportunity. This is, a, this is a neat thing that you do here with the AD Insider. So I'm delighted to have the opportunity to, to provide some content. Absolutely. And thanks, everybody, for joining us. Like always, we'll be here next week, Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern. And uh, you can get more of this at athleticdirectorinsider.com. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, everybody. All right. And thank you for listening. We're here to provide access to experts and educators in the field of athletic administration, but this is your podcast too. So feel free to let us know what you'd like to hear next by reaching out to us on social media or on our website, athleticdirectorinsider.com.